alcohol and uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Paul and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 21st episode of Polcast. In this episode, we will tell you how Polish patriotic songs can be made interesting to the 21st century audiences. Are young Poles any different from their Canadian peers? And how Poland features in the largest North American festival of Jewish culture, Toronto's Ashkenaz Festival. Smacznego! We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two heritage Polish cookbooks titled Classic Polish Recipes and Classic Polish Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations. But updated for modern kitchens. You know, Polish cuisine sometimes gets a bad rap for being heavy. And while we do love our comfort foods, we also love vegetables, especially when they're right from the farm. When just picked, they're so fresh vibrant and just full of flavor. Right now in our fridge and pantry, we've got some fresh asparagus, and I like the thin kind, a yellow cauliflower, yellow beans, a big bunch of very young carrots, baby kale, and some zucchini we just picked up. But Peter is always encouraging me to add layers of flavor to our vegetables. I'm happy with just a little butter and salt and pepper, but he is all about attacking his taste buds with the flavors of garlic, herbs, infused oils, balsamic vinegars, lemon zest, and more. One delicious and easy way to satisfy my palate is to prepare the vegetables the Polish way, Polonaise style. This works especially well with Brussels sprouts, asparagus, cauliflower, baby carrots, or whatever is really good at the market. Cook your vegetables the way you always do. A little crunchy is what the pros do because they'll con the vegetables will continue to soften before being served. Then in a skillet, saute some breadcrumbs and a bit of butter. Throw in some fresh dill, maybe some lemon zest for brightness, and sprinkle that mixture on top of your vegetables. Voila! Vegetables Polonaise. A great way to put some Polish love on the vegetable platter. I should tell you that Peter likes a heavier dose of breadcrumbs, so I often double the recipe, and depending on how many mouths we're feeding. But keep in mind that this is a topping to be sprinkled lightly, and not a sauce. Got that, hun? Oh, yes, dear. The full recipe for this technique and information about our cookbooks is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the post dated June 29, 2016. Smacznego! Oh, 
Ola Turkiewicz, who in episode 7 told us about moving from Canada to Poland, where she was born, and reinventing in her country of origin her musical career well established in Canada, on September the 16th, in the Rose Theatre in Brampton, the city neighboring Toronto, will be presenting the special Canadian edition of the annually held popular concert, Polish Independence Concert. We reach Ola in Warsaw. Ola, your Polish independence concert that you started in Poland and has been going on for eight years is something quite unusual. It is special because uh, it touches very special kind of music. Patriotic songs in Poland are kind of sacred uh, songs, and not everybody has courage to touch them in a new modern way. We did it. It works. People like it. It uh, the way we arrange uh, the songs, uh, these tunes, is the way that speaks to wide variety of listeners. Everybody can find something that they like, and I think that's the the success of this concert. The concert has different themes every year, but it's been played in in, in a very special place in Warsaw since 2009. Uh, Uh, we played at the Warsaw Uprising Museum, which is a very, very special place, very open to new ideas, to a new way of presenting the history of Poland. The, the people that come, it's a variety of people, the youngest to the oldest, and everybody can find something for themselves. That's the secret of the concert and of the museum. And the concert was also presented at the Warsaw Royal Castle, and now on the 1st of September, in a completely new location. Yes, Gdańsk, Westerplatte. That's where the war started, actually, the 1st of September. So it's a very significant date and, uh, and a very special place to play the concert. And we hope that this will become a tradition as well. We also hope that, that the Royal Castle will uh, be the same. So we play the Royal Castle uh, on May the 3rd. May 3rd is a Polish, is a Polish uh, national holiday uh, celebrating uh, the Constitution, se second written Constitution in the world, right after the United States Constitution, that actually uh, gave rights to different uh, ethnic religious groups. First democratic Constitution. Uh, November 11th, we are at the museum. November 11th is a national day of independence. Very important day because this is when Poland, for the first time in decades, regained independence. Gdańsk will be another place. Now, let's talk about the concert that you are bringing to Canada. This concert is, um, is not one of those that you presented in Poland. Yes and no. Uh, this concert is uh, based on the concert that we have already played here in Poland and was uh, with the same title that uh, that we are presenting in Canada, Poland. And it's uh, it talks about stories uh, about Poles who are fighting for the freedom and independence of different countries, not only our own. This concert that we're bringing to Canada, we're going to be focusing on the themes and stories uh, that involve Canadians and Poles fighting together for freedom, for independence of uh, different countries. We also will be talking about Canadians fighting and uh, supporting fights for freedom of Poland.
And uh, you're bringing uh, a number of musicians from Poland, but we, we also are going to hear some local musicians. It's going to be a, a mix of musicians, Canadians, uh, Canadians and Poles. So uh, part of the rhythm section is going to be on drums, Sly Juhas. This is a person who I've worked uh, while I was still in Canada. I, I'm, I'm sure and I hope that many people will remember Sly. Uh, on trumpet, we will have Rebecca Hennessy and we'll have a Canadian string quartet. Uh, from Poland, we will have the other half of the rhythm section, so the bass, the piano, uh, the accordion. Uh, on vocal, Grzegorz Wilk, who I'm sure many Polish people will recognize from different projects. He also was uh, in Canada with uh, Piotr Lubik, I'm sure many people know Grzesz. Because of the fact that the concert is not only music, but it's also uh, narration. The, the great thing is that there's, it's going to be translated into English. Exactly, and this is very important. Polish people that uh, speak Polish or don't speak Polish uh, with the Polish background can come and will feel comfortable and will understand what's going on and will be able to read what we are talking about during the concert. We also invite people that don't have any Polish roots but are interested in the Polish history because the, the, this history is fascinating uh, equally for, for Poland and for Canada. Rzucim ziemi, skąd nasz ród Nie damy pogrześć mowy Polski naród, polski lud Królewski szczep To learn more about the Polish Independence Concert, its program, and how to get free tickets to this great event to be held in the beautiful Rose Theatre in Brampton, visit our website at mypolcast.com. Remember Ariel Bialski, the young composer, DJ from Toronto, who now lives and works in Warsaw? In our interview, he shared with us some very interesting impressions from Poland. Looking at the young people here and there, are there any differences? Um, yeah, I, I do uh, see a difference. The gender roles of men and women are much more blurred in Poland. Like, I would say that if for a... For young people in a in a conversation, if you're in a group of 10 people, let's say, if you just masked their voices with some sort of like, you know, electronic robot voice, you wouldn't know who's a guy and who's a girl. Like everyone kind of intermingles and then discusses the same way and doesn't like even my friends. We, if I go back, then we sometimes separate into guys and girls like girls will sit, stand sit there talk amongst themselves and the guys will sit and um, talk amongst themselves and nothing nothing wrong with that here at, in poland i don't see that 
I see more mixing with genders in terms of conversations, and it seems like it's less sexist. The term powerful woman isn't a phrase in Polish. It's just for the most part, women are women, like women are powerful already. So there's no need to add the word powerful to the word woman. Um, the thing that I notice about young people here is everyone speaks English and they will speak several languages. So it's not uncommon for someone to speak German and Russian and Polish and then English also. They'll also know about because it's such a small area, like within Ontario, you could fit probably Poland and uh, all the countries around like Czech and Slovakia and a little bit of Ukraine. People know what's going on around them. So conversations I have with people are very open and very informed. In our last episode, we talked to Michael Rubenfeld, an actor, playwright, and theater promoter, about his most recent play, We Keep Coming Back, an account of his trip to Poland to rediscover his Jewish roots, which resulted in his connection with the unexpected, the flourishing new Jewish life in Poland. The play will have its Canadian premiere at Toronto's Ashkenaz Festival on September the 3rd. Today, I'm talking to Eric Stein, a renowned musician and artistic director of the Ashkenaz Festival, to talk about the festival programs related to Poland. Toronto's Ashkenaz Festival is said to be North America's largest festival of Jewish music and culture. It's now in its 11th year. How long have you been involved in it? Yeah, so I, I've been the artistic director for the last 10 years, and it is our 11th festival this year, but because the festival is biennial, it's actually the 21st year that the organization has been around. How has it changed? Uh, when it was originally founded in the mid-90s, uh, the festival was really very specifically in a klezmer music revival that, that had begun in the late 70s and really by the mid-90s had kind of taken off. And obviously with the name Ashkenaz, that really signifies what the festival was about when it was first conceived. It was about uh, celebrating Eastern European Jewish culture. That remains at the core of our mandate, but uh, in the time that I've been here, the last 10 years, We've really dramatically broadened our mandate in terms of what we uh, present and what we seek to, to bring to the community and represent. And it's really uh, a celebration of global Jewish identity, Jewish uh, global Jewish culture, Jewish music. Basically, from every corner of the world, we, we have a ton of Sephardic and Mizrahi music that sits alongside all sorts of cross-cultural fusion. How do you make the selection? I'm sure there's a lot of interest um, on the part of artists who would like to come and participate. Absolutely. We get uh, a ton of submissions. Um, I would say that the largest majority of the artistic selections happen as a result of research that I do and just my own participation in this cultural scene. I, I'm obviously uh, aware of different artists and the things they're doing and, and just keep my ears open for what's interesting and new. Then occasionally something will come as a submission that I didn't know about that just blows me away. There's a number of various program um, elements that are going to be related to Poland. Probably the most high-profile event that we have that's related to Poland is the Canadian premiere production of Michael Rubenfeld's show, We Keep Coming Back. He calls it Reality Theater. The play, it's a really interesting. I saw a workshop production of the show a few months ago. And uh, that was what sold me on it. Uh, aside from the fact, when, you know, when I was uh, hearing about the show in advance, I was certainly intrigued by the story. Um, the story was not an unfamiliar one to me. It's, it's one that uh, resonated with uh, much of my own personal experience in, in different ways, but, uh, but related. And one that I think is common 
and and broadly universal to what's happening in Poland today and in other parts of the world in the Jewish diaspora in relation to um, uh, Ashkenazi Jews that have roots in Poland. And the primary crux of that is really that um, ambivalence and, you know, the older generation, many of whom have a knee-jerk reaction like uh, Michael's mother initially did in terms of saying, you know, Poland is just filled with anti-Semites and, and violence and, and uh, nothing there for the Jews. And others who have sought out Poland as a place to reconnect with disconnected Jewish roots that somehow they feel have been denied to them as a result of the historical tragedies and also as a result of the kind of um, prejudices that developed and were passed on from the survivor generation and their children to the third generation. And that's the part that really resonates for me. We Keep Coming Back, I think, is a really important show and um, really highlights that aspect of it, the sort of diasporic third generation aspect, and at the same time also highlights uh, the contemporary scene in Poland where you have third and fourth generation uh, Poles, many of whom are discovering Jewish roots that they didn't know they had or seeking them out in an almost compulsive way. Um, and, And I think in the last 10 years particularly, there's been this real, really strong resurgence of, of Jewish presence in Poland, and that's signified most powerfully, obviously, by the new museum in Warsaw. Um, but, you know, the proliferation of festivals all over the country, and not just in the major cities, but now in smaller towns as well. Um, and the extent to which um, it seems to be a civic norm across Poland to be very explicit in acknowledging and, in most cases, celebrating the Jewish history, the thousand years of Jewish history that that, uh, that uh, preceded the Holocaust in Poland. And that's where Katka Reszka comes in, right? I mean, exactly. she, she, she's one of those who discovered yeah. Jewish and so roots. That, and that takes us to another, another uh, program in the festival. Obviously, Katka is uh, one of the performers in Michael's show. Um, and she plays herself, as they all do <laughs> in the show. And in a way, she's sort of like a, a yin-yang with Michael. And that plays out in the context of the show, where um, she's the, uh, raised Pol- uh, Polish and without uh, a sense of her, her Judaism and uh, feels some sort of compulsive desire or, or some hunch that, that she's got Jewish roots. And seeks it out, and um, and so she's actually going to be lecturing at the festival about that, and she calls that that phenomena the Meshugana effect. <laughs> so, um, and she wrote she wrote a great book called Return of the Jew, which is about these um, uh, the the narratives of, of post Holocaust uh, the post Holocaust generation of Jews in Poland. Um, so, uh, it's, I think it's gonna be a very interesting lecture that she's going to give. So it's kind of like a, like a two part thing with her that she's part of the show in terms of dramatizing her own experience and then, uh, analyzing it in a, in a more sort of intellectual and personal way as part of her lecture. So another thing that we're doing the festival, we're showing the film Raise the Roof, which was a a really, really beautiful documentary that was released last year. It's only played in Toronto one time before as part of the Toronto Jewish Film Festival last uh, in May of 2015. Um, And it's uh, a story about some artists named Rick and Laura Brown from uh, the northeastern United States who are not Jewish. Um, but who are involved in these sort of reconstructive historical projects. They, they build historical uh, structures in order to understand um, 
the cultures that were related to those structures and uh, and also just to basically celebrate the beauty of those structures and the, the human ingenuity involved in them. Um, so they became interested in creating uh, creating a recreation of an 18th century Polish wooden synagogue. And um, it's it's really a, a very inspiring story. They enlisted people from all over the world who came and worked with them over a, a series of, of years, really. And um, they unearthed all sorts of historical information about how to construct a synagogue in the style of uh, 18th century Poland. And um, in the end, what they created was this incredible um, uh, mural-covered uh, rooftop, like the inside of a rooftop, that is now the centerpiece of the central exhibition at the, the, the Jewish Museum in, in Warsaw. Um, so this film, is it's, it's really a gorgeous beautifully shot film and the story is really quite inspiring is basically a celebration of a, of a, a cultural niche that you know no longer exists and unfortunately all those wooden synagogues were destroyed um mostly in the holocaust or before and um you know their recreation of it is again on polish soil is really again this this a reflection of this flowering of uh, a reflowering of jewish presence in in poland uh, one form or another. The other program that we're presenting is a sort of combination film lecture, and this is one that has a very long arc. Um, it actually starts back in 2011. It's about a uh, Holocaust survivor and pianist and composer named Leo Spellman from the town of Ostrowiec in Poland. He moved to Canada in, I believe, 1949. But before he moved here in 1947, he had composed a a piece of music called Rhapsody, 1939 to 1945. Uh, and he composed that in a DP camp in Europe after the war. It was a musical allegory of his experience surviving the Holocaust. He came to Canada, created a life for himself here as a professional musician, among other things. And in the course of it, that piece of music that he wrote was stored in a suitcase and forgotten for for over 50 years. Uh, Leo Spellman was a member of the Spielmann family of musicians in Poland, and this is a very revered family of musicians going back for generations who were leaders in uh, klezmer music as well as professional and popular music. Probably the most famous member of the family was Vladislav Spielmann, who was the main character in the film The Pianist. So in the early 2000s, the Holocaust Museum in, in Washington contacted uh, originally contacted Vladislav Spielman um, to ask him if he had some music that he could provide them for uh, for some program they were doing. And he said, well, I don't really do Jewish music. You should contact my cousin in Toronto, Leo. He's probably got something for you. Um, so that's kind of what got it rolling. And somehow Leo went into his garage and, and found this piece of music. Over the next number of years, the, the piece was uh, played in sort of simplistic forms in the U.S., but it was never played in Canada. In 2011, Leo connected with a musician named Paul Hofford, who's a very, very famous Canadian musician. He founded the band Lighthouse and um, has had a very uh, diverse and successful career in a, in a number of different fields. And um, in the course of that relationship, Paul worked with Leo to reorchestrate the piece and get it recorded. So that came to my attention in 2012. We ended up putting together a, an orchestra at our festival in 2012, to, to perform the Canadian premiere of that composition when Leo Spellman was 99 years old. And, um, and it was one of the, probably one of the most special things that, that I've been part of in my time at Ashkenaz. Um, Leo was present with us, and uh, it was so moving to watch him 
be visibly uh, affected by seeing his his music come to life in his hometown. And it was really, I think, quite a, a closing of a circle for him. And in a somewhat poetic but unfortunate way, Leo died two months after that performance. And it was sort of like he was waiting for that to happen before he could he could comfortably leave this world. So all the while this was happening, Paul Hofford's son, David Hofford, is a, a, a well-known Canadian filmmaker. And so he started following the story and he wanted to make a, a film about this piece of music that his father had worked on and about Leo's really interesting story. And he thought that that performance at Ashkenaz was going to be the sort of penultimate climax to the film, that that was basically what the film that he was working on was all leading towards. But after Leo died, shortly after, when they were cleaning out his house, the family discovered uh, Leo's Holocaust diaries. And these were diaries that hadn't seen the light of day for 60-some-odd years um, that Leo, I guess, had really never told anybody about. They had these diaries translated, and they shared them with uh, authorities at the Holocaust Museum in Washington who asserted that these diaries were some of the most significant first-person accounts of survival during the Holocaust that they had ever seen. So that opened up a whole other aspect of storytelling for uh, for David Hofford as a filmmaker, uh, working with his parents, who are the producers of the film. Um, so they've been working on this film for the last four years, pretty much. And over last year, they, they made two trips to Poland since then where they um, tra- tracked down Leo's roots and um, went to his hometown. They were successful, and they were greeted very warmly in Ostrovitz, and the town of Ostrovitz, in fact, erected a plaque to Leo Spielman, acknowledging this great composer and musician who had once lived there. Um, and they also pulled off a performance of, of that piece of music in Poland. So these all became new uh, and really dramatic filmic elements that they're going to be incorporating into this film. They haven't completed the film. They're probably uh, six to ten months away from doing so. But they're going to share with us some new footage from their Poland trips and tell this really incredible story. Um, and, you know, just talk about everything they've experienced in trying to put this film together. And um, in a broader sense, again, touch on this this notion of uh, ongoing stubborn, renewed presence of Jewish life in Poland. Uh, And it's taking all sorts of different forms. And, and, you know, this is yet another one of them. To learn more about all these programs and the other to be presented at Toronto's Ashkenaz Festival, which features artists from 12 countries and nearly 20 nationalities, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. What you just heard is a Schwiestak. One of the cutest animals in the Tatra Mountains is a marmot. The Tatra marmot is not found anywhere other than in the Tatras. It is a subspecies of the alpine marmot, which is under strict protection in Poland. Marmots' winter hibernation is particularly long. They sleep from October until April, as deep as three meters underground. When they wake up in spring, their body mass is only one-third of what it was before they went to sleep. 
This little groundhog-like animal spend a lot of time playing and racing on the mountain meadows, gorging on plants and insects that are around them in abundance. Throughout the summer they accumulate fat deposits for their long winter sleep. They love basking in the sun, feeling quite safe. In fact, apart from the humans, their only enemy is the eagle, which in the Tatras is extremely rare. When a marmot is frightened, it makes a distinctive, lingering, whistling sound, alarming the rest of the colony of a danger, then quickly hides in the nearest hole. This characteristic sharp sound is actually not a whistle, but a scream. Digging is a real passion of Tatra marmots, so the whole network expands for everybody's benefit. All marmots are well aware of the location of all the holes in their area. When in danger, they would hide in a hole belonging to another family. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? You've been listening to the 21st episode of Polcast. Polkas is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. We are always curious about your reactions, comments and suggestions. Also ideas for the news stories. Please share them with us on our website, mypolcast.com. In the next episode, we will tell you about Ludwig the robot, constructed by a young Polish scientist and his team in Toronto to help people with Alzheimer's disease. About Poles and the drinking, from stereotypes to reality. And what it's like to be a son of the renowned British historian of Poland, Professor Norman Davis. And we leave you with song Źródło from Polish Independence Concert, sung by our today's guest, Ala Turkiewicz. Thank you for listening.
płynie rzeka wąwozem, jak dnem kolejne, która sama siebie żłobiła. Rosną ściany wąwozu z obu stron coraz wyżej, tam na górze są ponoć równiny. Własna wczeluść ciągnie go siła Ale jest ciągle rzeka Na dnie tej rozpadliny Jest i będzie, będzie jak była Bo źródło, bo źródło wciąż bije Barw i wyżłobień tej rzeki, historia tych brzegów. Cienie drzew powalonych, ślady głazów rozmytych, mózg garnięty pod siebie, wbrew sobie. Ale płynie wciąż płynie w 